1: With Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment.
0: So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, he had a Broadway-themed bar mitzvah, and he entered the reception singing Walk Like a Man with his dad and two brothers. Welcome, Ben Platt. A-OK a My guest today is star of stage and screen, Ben Platt. His stage career began when he was just a kid playing roles in Caroline or Change, Cinderella, The Music Man, Mame, Into the Woods, Pippin, and Guys and Dolls multiple times, once in Hebrew. On Broadway, he has starred in The Book of Mormon and Dear Evan Hansen, for which he has won multiple awards. On film, he is famous for playing Benji Applebaum in the mega box office hits Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2, Ricky and the Flash, and the soon-to-be-released Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, and Drunk Parents, co-starring with Alec Baldwin and Selma Hayek. Welcome, Ben Platt, to the podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're here, my friend.
1: I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I think we just have to start off right away with a constant in my house, which is Pitch Perfect. Was that a hard part to
1: get? You know, not particularly as far as the process. It was a very run-of-the-mill situation. I was in my summer before going away to college. That was the plan. I was going to go to Columbia University here in New York City. Oh, nice. And about a month before I was supposed to leave, I was at a voice lesson with my teacher at the time, Eric Vitro, in L.A., and he said, are you going in for this college singing movie? All of my clients that are your age seem to be going in for this college singing movie. And I thought, well, that's interesting. No, I'm not. So I contacted mm. my agents, and I asked them about it, and they said, yeah, the script came across our desk, but theres um, you've been sort of typed out, essentially. It's not really a part that fits your, your mold. And I was like, well, it's about... College kids that sing, so huh. I, like, I think maybe I could find right. something. So why don't you send me the script? Yeah. So they sent me the script. and Would it kill you? <laughs> really? And then there was a character like named Benji, and I right. was like, interesting, we share a name. Hmm. What about this guy? To their credit, I had never really played sort of the outcast nerd, sort of like social pariah character. Um, that was kind of the beginning of that. Let me go and give this a shot. So I went in for the casting directors, was called back for the casting directors and Jason Moore, the director, and then a third time in a sort of pseudo-screen test for Elizabeth Banks and Jason and some of the Universal people. And then about like two weeks before I was supposed to go to Columbia, was offered the role and decided to defer instead and to take my packed duffel bags to Baton Rouge, Louisiana instead of New York City.
0: Did you have to audition with any other actors or were you always by yourself?
1: Always by myself. Always just doing the scene where Benji meets the Troublemakers at the Activities Fair. And so I just had to do that scene a bunch of times, and then I had to sing a, a few different songs in each audition. I just wanted to hear us acapella sing a few things. I sang Feeling Good by Michael Buble a few times. And then at my final audition, they said, why don't you sing it as if... You've spent the whole movie trying to get into this group, and now finally this is your one chance, and you come on stage and you're very nervous, so start very slowly and then gain confidence as you go. And so I sang it sort of in the way that I sing magic in me in the in the movie, and then that kind of clinched it, and then there you have it.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, thank God for all of us, because <laughs> it must be sort of a heady thing right out of the gate to be in something that is, for popular culture, just starting off with that it's so huge it that? is
1: crazy I mean I certainly had no idea this is what it was going to be it was a small sort of it was a studio film but as about as small as a studio film can be pretty low budget not a lot of famous people I knew Anna Kendrick from like up in the air, and right. Rebel Wilson was the really funny girl from Bridesmaids. And right. It was a lot of it was just like theater camp in Louisiana for t- three months, and it was a blast. Heaven. And, truly heaven. heaven. And Skylar Aston is a fr- was already a friend of mine from some theater workshops and things. And did so, you
0: watch those high school musical movies when they came did out? I
1: watched those high school musical <laughs> What do you take me <laughs> for? Sorry,
0: let me rephrase the question. As I am someone who's watched, Every one of them, mm-hmm. and also the behind the scenes of the making of them <laughs> religiously. So, for the making of Pitch Perfect, mm-hmm. I would imagine it was similar in terms of how you learned all the numbers, right? Very
1: much so. And for me, I think that's why it was the perfect first on screen foray because I was really comfortable because it was, we had a rehearsal process in a rehearsal room with dancing and singing, and it was something I was so familiar with because I grew up doing musical theater. So, to me, it felt so natural. And then to make that transition to my first job on camera, to be in such a comfortable space and have half the things I was doing on camera be things that are on stage was like an excellent transition. And also to have Jason Moore directing, who's a wonderful theater director and could speak to me in a way that I really understood. Was you were like perfect. Jason,
0: it would be easier for me <laughs> instead of saying like camera right or camera left if you could say stage right and stage left, I think you'd get a great performance out of me.
1: Can we just have a small audience on hand just <laughs> to, to offer reactions? Speaking
0: of a small audience, you would just have to have your family in the room, right? So, for those of you who don't know, Ben grew up one of five. I did. And his last name is Platt, and they were a family that loved musical theater so much that they would often be called by friends and family the Von Platt family. Yes, Correct? Indeed. Yes, indeed.
1: Correct. Ju- the Von Platt family singers, if you will.
0: Oh, this night air is no good for the children's voices. <laughs> <laughs> this Malibu air is no good for the children's voices. We must get them <laughs> It's too dry
1: a climate in L.A. for the families. Sing. <laughs> we must get them into the Alps.
0: So... <laughs> This family's love for Mm -hmm. musical theater was born from where?
1: My parents, especially my father, grew up loving theater and directing shows in his backyard the way that I grew up. And just being obsessed with original cast albums and and with just the beauty of Broadway. And his biggest dream has always been to create Broadway musicals. And
0: And he fulfilled his dream. He did
1: fulfill his dream. He created a really small art show. It's called Wicked.
0: Okay, so your dad is Mark Platt, mm-hmm. who has really helped form Broadway as we know it. For yes, the indeed. Last year.
1: From pretty early on, it was... Well, first, he was sort of an executive and a studio head, and it was always sort of a big picture kind of a guy. But to, the question yes. with musical theater... What was my question? It was, I'm sorry, How what? did the love for musical theater start? So, yeah, yes. so he would play us in the car every day, and we would drive to lunch or something on the weekends. It wouldn't be the radio. It would be the Gypsy Cast album or his workshop of Wicked or Tick, Tick, Boom or... So like I just like grew up as that was my bread and butter. So I it was just assumed, and they put me in theater when I was six years old. They put me in at the Adderley School for the Performing Arts in the Palisades, which is like a fun twelve week after school program where kids put on some semblance of a musical.
0: What I found to be so remarkable is how incredibly down to earth and grounded you are, and that's true of. All of your siblings that I've had the pleasure to meet—that's my parents doing. School me as a mother myself who wants to raise really good. You kids You have wonderful like you.
1: children, and I strive to emulate your life. Could because you say you that just a...
0: one more time? St- Alana <laughs> Levine has what?
1: Has wonderful children, and I strive to emulate her life. Thank truly. you,
0: truly. And we're done. That was so great. Thank you for coming on the show. This was amazing. Congratulations on dear Evan Hansen.
1: Thank it's, you. Goodbye. It's a big um, hit.
0: <laughs> These are little known facts that uh, you know. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yes. You're Thank you. It has to be slightly pitchy to be <laughs> authentic. We could have done it not that way, but you've got to give the people what they want. Black. So
1: back to me being down to earth. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. No, but, you know, on one hand, I'm not a great example because I, I did grow up in the business. And so I was around these sort of like glitzy people and yes. famous folks and grew up going to movie sets and premieres and things like that. Because just by virtue of who my father was. First Why aren't all, you
0: in jail or on drugs right now?
1: Because my family has a beautiful Jewish background. I think I think that's a big part of it. We were very grounded in our community, and our synagogue means a lot to us. And I went to Jewish day school all through eighth grade, and just growing up in a very sort of tight-knit—because L.A. is a very disparate place, too, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's, it's easy for kids to feel like they don't sort of have their home base, mm-hmm. whereas— I almost think in New York it's a bit easier because it's a tighter place. And I don't know, it's, it's for some reason, maybe just because I didn't grow up here, but I always find it easier to like find your niche here. But anyways, because I lived in, a, in an area that was a lot of Jews who all went to the same synagogue in the same day school, I just grew up in a, a way that could be both, at once sheltered and also exposed to lots of great culture and art. And because right. my parents were in the business, I got to see all sorts of things that expanded my mind. And yet I did get to live in somewhat of a Jewish safe community.
0: A little community. But, oh, yeah, in a, the a, Pacific oh. Palisades. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up? What, West, in like West right near West, UCLA. Everything was shut down from Friday night sun mm-hmm. sunset until Except until <laughs> Did you ever have any concern being identified as too Jewish in this business? Did that ever happen to you?
1: You know, no. I think partially because a lot of people in this business happen to be Jewish, which is mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. More so, probably Shh. in. I know I don't know. <laughs> Stop. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. You know, that's part of what makes me like a sane and grounded and happy human being is my Jewish background.
0: So the characters, you know, you were saying that earlier on when the part of Benji Applebaum came your way, your agents didn't immediately think of you as someone who was an outsider. But since then, you have played these really complex characters who very much feel like an outsider. Was there a time in your life where you felt that way?
1: The real answer is... I feel like part of me feels too guilty to say that I ever did feel that way because I had a wonderful upbringing and I am very fortunate to have been in a loving family and to have been supported in every way I could have possibly wanted to be supported. So in any sort of deeply existential way, no, I did not feel like an outsider. But growing up as a kid who's around a bunch of boys who love to play sports and you want to go home and do a show in the backyard makes you sort of look inward a bit. So I think, if anything, that's the only jumping off point I have is thinking like, I did like to spend a lot of time on my own, in my own thoughts, and in my own sort of creative world. Um, and so I think I can relate to that part of it. As far as the inability to be social and interact, which is a lot of the characters that I've played have had, that's not something I've ever dealt with or had trouble with. I love to interact with people and be social and when I choose to be. But I can understand the desire to not do so, which is why I think I'm able to at least have a jumping off point that I can personally relate to, if not Completely fabricate, but some parts I need to just sort of create.
0: So, what is your process? How do you work on a part?
1: It definitely varies greatly depending on if it's a, a stage piece or if it's on film. I think Evan Hansen is what I, my mind is the most occupied with at the moment, and definitely the role that I have played that I've had the most time to develop mm-hmm. because I uh, have been with the piece for about two and a half years since the very first table read, and so have somewhat collaborated with the writers to create this person from scratch. And so that's been different in a way that i would never experienced because it, it was such an open book. And so I was able to take seeds of an idea and see what really did feel honest to me and what felt effective to me and then incorporate those things because they were organic to me as opposed to taking things, like with Elder Cunningham, The Book of Mormon, looking at a script and a role that had already been created and thinking... There are, you know, vital aspects of this that I must recreate. That I have to,
0: right? To right, because the machine to. is in place. Already. Exactly, right. and,
1: and I don't want to compromise the piece. But at the same time, what can I do to infuse it with myself and make it honest to me and make it organic and make it believable? Because I'm not Josh Gatt. So right. I think it's really, definitely varies.
0: Wait, you're. I thought I was in your. I'm really
1: sorry. I'm so sorry <sighs> to disappoint you.
0: Second time we have to stop. I know it's a nightmare. All right. Well, then, <laughs> Platberg, let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going and see if we Pla- can Pla- find Schultz something <laughs> to use from you, <laughs> not being Josh Gad. <clears throat> can you just talk a little bit about the theme of Dear Evan Hansen? What comes at you after the show, after you've given so much?
1: Certainly. So Evan Hansen, in a nutshell, is about an isolated kid who has a lot of crippling social anxiety and a lot of trouble connecting in a world that is currently very hyper-connected as far as being online and being able to share your thoughts and judge each other's thoughts instantaneously, which I think just kind of pulls him further and further into himself. And I'm not going to give away any of the plot, but it's essentially just sort of a really raw and real depiction of a kid who does not know how to get outside of himself and connect to people and wants nothing more than to do so. And so. I think whether it's kids that come that are themselves dealing with social anxiety or are somewhere on the autism spectrum or in the other side of, of, of things, kids that are seemingly on the outside very typical children who also just see themselves in him. I think it's just by virtue of the fact that the show so successfully depicts the current world mm-hmm. and the fact that the character that we've been able to all create together it feels like a, a person that everybody really knows or has met or can see themselves in. Right. People get very affected, and I think that anxiety specifically hasn't really been depicted this way in a musical before. And I think that anxiety is something that's pretty rampant right now with kids. I know that I've certainly dealt with my share of anxiety. And so afterwards, as far as what you're saying about how I deal with the response, people feel a sort of ownership over the character and the experience that they've had and the emotional experience that they've had. And so when they meet me afterwards, they sort of expect some sort of button to that emotional journey or some some sort of commiseration. Mm-hmm. And I and I want nothing more than, than to provide that for people. But sometimes, by virtue of the fact that I'm an actor and I'm a happy person and I can leave the theater and be myself and not be lost in that emotional place, right? it's sort of unsettling for people sometimes because they're like, wait, why aren't you, why aren't you on, on the floor? Up? Right.
0: Because <laughs> something really horrible just happened to all of us and exactly. you're going to... The palm (laughs) (laughs) or lobster. Social media is a star of this play as well. Certainly. I mean, sort of its role in our society. And I really loved coming away with what are we winning? For your character, he actually won a moment of feeling without giving too much away. Certainly, certainly. What it's like to be inside something, Mm -hmm. right? Have you ever told a big lie in your life?
1: I can only think of two. Okay. The first is... That I had people at my house after semi formal for uh, which is a dance into my high school. I told my mom that we weren't going to drink, and we all of course drank. And I kept the secret for a really long time, and it did really well, and nobody knew, and I was very clean and polite about it, and didn't make a mess, and nobody got sick, and right. nobody got hurt. And then one day my mom found like a bottle cap left over like from a long time ago on the counter, and I was foiled. So I didn't really get to be the one to come clean there. And then the other thing is this is even worse. This is like maybe the worst thing I've ever done. Okay. I was at camp, and I was I say 11 or 12 and the new Harry Potter book came out while I was at camp and so everybody was getting their <laughs> Harry Potters delivered to camp in the middle of the session and,
0: <laughs> so, Telegram for Ben Platt your Harry Potter's here yeah. and
1: mine never came and I was really upset because everyone was reading it and talking about it and like I was learning about like things I didn't want to hear about yet without reading it myself so I stole another camper's copy of the book and wrote my name in it
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember who that camper was?
1: Another camper named Ben, mm-hmm. and I don't remember his last name. But made his it name easier, was though. Exactly, it yeah. did. And I got away with it. This I got book to belongs keep it. to Ben, and I read it, and no one ever knew until maybe right now. So yes, I have told lies. Never in and my lived
0: with the consequences.
1: Um, no matter how sort of inconsequential that may be now, I still remember very well mm-hmm. what that felt like and mm-hmm. the guilt of that. And you know, I, I still feel. Did rather you guilty. see
0: that same Ben like every summer? Or was that your last summer at that camp? So you never him? Oh, had no, no. He was always there. Did you yeah. ever tell him? I in... did
1: not. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should. Maybe I'll reach out on Facebook.
0: Yeah, just because he's still like, he never read it. <laughs> <laughs> he still walks around like, What happened the, in the fifth Harry Potter? <laughs> and also, like, Harry Potter's everywhere right now. So it's a constant, like, kind of sting uh-huh. for him. Like, don't mm. say Harry Potter. <laughs> and he doesn't even know why. He his can't book remember. just evaporated. That's really sad. (laughs) Moving on, but good for you for thanks for for giving me a platform to come clean. Totally, that's what we do here. So I just want to segue for a minute because I recently watched just the trailer for Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk and was sobbing. (laughs) But you worked with Ang Lee on that film. You've worked with Meryl Streep, (laughs) the great director Meryl Streep. (laughs) <laughs> the great director Selma Hayek and Alec Baldwin co directing.
1: <laughs> They're like the Cohen brothers. Truly,
0: they are. They are the Cohen brothers.
1: They're like the more attractive Cohen brothers, but the Coen brothers are cute.
0: What can you tell me about Mister Lee?
1: It was an incredible experience. Unlike anything I've very much out of my element as far as previous experience. It was the first film I did that had absolutely nothing to do with music and nothing mm-hmm. to do with comedy, and it was just a really sort of Real life depiction. I wasn't necessarily a terribly dramatic role for me. I play sort of a plot device rather, and I. Josh, I'm, I'm,
0: you play Josh. I play Josh, and yeah. I'm a
1: PR rep that's in charge of taking this this troop of boys around for the day that they're spending at this football game on Thanksgiving in Dallas, who are my age but have been through a whole other, you know. Experience. And I'm meanwhile I'm in a suit in this cushy job in Dallas, but I mean he's. Definitely an incredibly, incredibly visual artist and sees everything from such a far away place. And yet, if there is any questions that I have about character or things that feel very small and minuscule and and sort of more along the human lines of things, his answers are incredibly succinct and incredibly effective Mm -hmm. and just as tapped in with that as he is with what he's... Being more verbal about because that's his medium is is right. the way that it looks. And it's we've got this new technology going in this film that I'm not going to be able to describe because I'm not smart enough. Right. but it's this brand new sort of frames per minute thing where it's like, sort of the most fine filmmaking like in terms of literally fine that you can see sort of every detail we weren't allowed to wear any kind of makeup because it's like incredibly clear and high definition it's also in 3d
0: did you sneak makeup
1: not at all and i'm incredibly broken out on the first day of filming and it all takes place in one day oh
0: my god so when you first then they had to like paint zits on you like wait
1: no i just my skin just gets progressively better throughout the day
0: see it's a metaphor.
1: <laughs> For healing. As
0: he heals, so does, so you. does my skin. Proactive.
1: <laughs> I probably the time that I felt the most part of something way huger than myself. I mean, Pitch Perfect obviously has become something quite large, but as far as feeling part of a much larger statement, artistic mm. statement, mm-hmm. I've never felt that before, and that was really cool.
0: Why do you think Pitch Perfect
1: Like, is, what about it caught fire? Do
0: you—can you explain I think it? so.
1: I mean, I think— It was the timing, and it's the generation that grew up on High School Musical and sort of are interested in bringing musicals in some way back into the mainstream and, like, enjoying music being a part of their Mm -hmm. entertainment. But it has this sort of snarkiness and sharpness and edginess and and funny voice of K-Cannon at the same time, which makes it sort of cool enough and sort of more universally enjoyable for people that maybe don't maybe their way in is not the music. It includes a demographic that otherwise maybe wouldn't be included in this sort of musicals and like world. And so I think so it's that synergy. So when you went synergy. back
0: for the second one, first of all, did everyone have a bigger trailer? And were there <laughs> like double the amount of carrot sticks available? Yes. Like,
1: <laughs> Way more <laughs> carrot sticks. There was like three microwaves like...
0: Per person. Per
1: person. But yes, no, definitely in all of the superficial like sort of literal ways, much bigger film, bigger right. budget. Everyone's getting paid more. Everyone's got a little bit of a nicer setup. The film crew is larger. The, the cameras are nicer. There's more makeup. There's more right. wardrobe. So definitely like a bigger deal. And also we all felt a bigger responsibility now because we wanted to deliver than these characters that now everybody loves and wants to hear from. And the first time it was just this sort of fun thing we were creating and finding. And so now it's like, will people expect to love these people again? And so we want to deliver that for them. So that plus how much bigger the movie was kind of met in a nice way, which I think is dangerous for sequels because sometimes... That doesn't necessarily translate when you've got something sort of no, but small and warm and then you try to create more from it. But I think they did a good job of keeping the essence of the first one alive and making it feel like the same sort of material, and yet a much cleaner, prettier studio film.
0: Speaking of musicals, you did Ricky and the Flash with Meryl Streep. Yes, indeed. Who I can't imagine you <laughs> hadn't heard of before you
1: no, it's appeared on. No, first time. Um, and you are? I me your name one more time. <laughs> I recognize Meryl. her from Mamma Mia.
0: Mamma Mia. What is her on-set demeanor?
1: I was very f- afraid to meet and work with her because she is... Our hero, our collective hero. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the business or around the business or who's even dabbled in acting that doesn't consider her somewhat of a hero. Right. And you never want to meet your heroes because you're like, well, they're just going to be mean and ask for coffee or something. Right.
0: I was worried about that today with you. Oh.
1: But she, it's almost like now I know why she's a legend because she is every bit the human that she is the talent. She's kind and giving and generous and wants to impart wisdom and wants to bring the best out of people. And at the same time, you, everyone's on set with Meryl Streep so they're like, I need to be doing my best work at right. all times. You don't come to work and see Meryl Streep and think like, I'm going to do okay today. Like, <laughs> I'm going to like try. You know
0: most of my lines.
1: <laughs> but I think I was the most interested to try to watch anything I could and gather anything I could from her. And I was wondering, you know, is this a Dana Day-Lewis situation where she's completely in character off camera and does she stay and does she make me call her Ricky all the right. time? Will she be and... in wardrobe? And it's somewhere beautifully in the middle where she... Can be completely herself and doesn't sort of pre- pretend to be any like other person than herself when she's not on camera, and yet will stay in whatever the sort of vibe of the day is, or of the scene, or the essence of her character, and like keep sort of Ricky is this like sort of subdued, cool rocker chick. So she was always very sort of smooth and laid back, and with her feet up, and you know, like just little things that kept her in the world, and yet able to go in and out of being Marilyn, the character. And I think that that's something I'll try to take with me and that I won't forget is just how valuable that is. Because coming from theater, I love that you get to just do the whole story in a row and stay in this world and then right. go home and be you and then come back and do the same. And film is so sort of give and take and sort of stop and start. And like you can be working on nine hours and you work for two of those hours. And so something so helpful is just kind of maintaining that vibe all day long. And so was... in
0: a part like Evan Hansen, which demands so much of you physically sure. and emotionally, I, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, Ben really physically embodies this person who has so much angst and the electricity that runs through his body in order to kind of handle all the angst manifests itself in a lot of physical twitches and ticks. How do you come down? Are you someone... Who's able to turn it off when, after the curtain call?
1: Over time, it has become easier to transition out. I think at the beginning, when I was first starting to do the show eight times a week and living in this emotional place all the time, it took me a while to come back down as far as, I wouldn't necessarily be in a dark, depressed place, because the show does end on a somewhat uplifting note, but... Just emotionally spent and not really able to function as a person afterwards just because I wanted to go home and sit in bed by myself and just kind of let it fall off of me. But as time has gone on and I've really learned what my show is and what my night is and how to pace myself and how to live the journey and then move forward, it's become easier and easier. And because I'm just so happy to be having this experience Mm -hmm. and this is like every bit of my dream all coming true at the same time. I wanted to learn how to get back to me quickly because I want to be able to, for me, bend the human, enjoy what's going on and hear the love people are giving me afterwards and receive it and not let this whole experience pass me by because I do want to make sure I'm always working really hard and taking full advantage. And this obviously particular role requires a lot of me. It's not worth it if you can't enjoy the fruits of your labor and and take in the experience as me, the person. So I just have been trying to make a point of doing my work and, and throwing myself in it, but then... Letting myself off the hook afterwards and being like, you just be you. You enjoy what just happened and you, yeah. you let take it all in. And Because I'm bad at that. I, I live very much in my head and I'm always sort of my biggest critic. And I'm like, my voice was at an 85 today and I didn't. And, you know, like my mother always says to me, like, you're 85. Is that another person's 100, Benjamin? And I'm like, OK.
0: Well, she's right. There are so many incredible songs in the show. There's a song called Waving Through a Window. Do you mind just singing a little bit of it? so that I can cry in the studio.
1: Sure. All right. I'll, just, I'll give you a little chorus. Okay. On the outside, always looking in, will I... Ever be more than I've always been Cause I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass I'm waving through a window Oh, I try to speak but nobody can hear So I wait around for an answer to appear While I'm watch, watch, watching people pass I'm waving through a window Oh, Can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? I
0: love you so much. Thank <laughs> you for doing that. And thank my you pleasure. for being here, Ben Platt. Thanks you for having me, Alana Levine. You
1: magnificent. And as are you. See you soon. Love you.
0: Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are Little Known Facts that now. You know. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast Thanks again to our sponsor, Dear Evan Hansen. With its moving score and unforgettable characters, this show is intensely personal, universal, deeply moving, and has touched audiences in ways few Broadway musicals ever have. The winner of six Tony Awards, including Best Musical of the Year, will not only make you stand up and cheer, but will stay with you long after you leave the theater.